Yes, we live next to each other on purpose. We, we designed that. That was intentional. It's a blessing to know the Stevens family. And I look out at you and I see many friends. It's good to see you. Uh, some of you haven't seen in a while, uh, but it's good to see you today. I'm excited to be here. And thank you, Jared, for the opportunity to be here. Thank you. It's an honor for me to be here with you. I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. And this good news started in the Old Testament and shows up in the New Testament and it shows up in our lives today. The good news that there is a God, and there's more to the story, but that's a good place to begin. There is a God. In fact, we're going to look first at Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there with me, we're going to be in Psalm 23 to begin with. And the first two words in Psalm 23 are the Lord. So there is a God. And this isn't just the first line of the chorus of 728b. This is an important, some of you understand that reference. Uh, This is an important, important, critical claim. The truth that there is a God. In fact, in the middle of the 20th century, there's a guy named A.W. Tozer who made this claim. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You may or may not agree with that, but it's an interesting thought. And so I want to invite you to do something just for a moment. What word comes into your mind when you think about God? Is there a word that describes the essence of God's character? What adjective do you think of when you think of God? And that matters. And as you're thinking, what's your second choice? Is there something else? Is there another word that comes to your mind? So as you think about these things, some of the words that I'm guessing some of you might have thought of include holy or life or existence, maybe justice, maybe eternal, maybe creator, savior. But what we think about God matters because we are going to respond in some way to this God. Some people choose to ignore the God they think about. Others of us choose to respond in some way. But it not only matters for us, it matters for what we teach our children. So when my oldest child was old enough to start talking, my wife and I had a parenting conflict, a debate. We were trying to decide what would be the first verse of the Bible that we would help our daughter memorize. My vote was Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That was vetoed. And my wife chose instead Psalm 103.8, which says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. So she wanted to teach our daughter about God, about God and God's love. And of all the characteristics we know about God, love and loving is, is one of the more Uh, the ones that rises to the top. And God wants us to know that not only there is a God, but there is a God who loves. We have John 3.16 that reminds us God loves so much that God gives. And God gave his son. But that's not the only image we have of God as a father who gives. God, the Bible tells us, loves like a mother loves her children, like a hen loves her chicks. God loves like a spouse. God loves like a good parent. God loves... Like a shepherd. So, Psalm 23, let's listen to what it says. We're going to take several passes through this 
psalm. But I want you to hear what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a few things I've noticed as I've read this psalm over and over in preparation for today, and I want to share those with you, a few things that I've noticed. First, the psalm begins and ends, verse 1 and verse 6, with the Lord. But in the middle, in between there, something interesting happens that we might miss if we're not looking for it. In verses 2 and 3, five times David, the author of the psalm, talks about God in third person. He talks about God. He, his, this is something God's doing. And then there's a switch. Do you see it? In verses 4 and 5, he talks to God in second person. You, your. And it's almost as if David is talking about God and this inspires him to speak to God in praise. And I wonder if declaring the goodness of God in our lives might do the same thing. Maybe testifying about God leads to praising the God that we're talking about. So we know in James that there's this verse that says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So every good and perfect gift is from above. And so the admonition to count your many blessings, name them one by one, may not just be to help us be grateful. It may help us worship. Naming what we have and telling other people about God may lead us to worship of God. Okay, another pass through Psalm 23. What else do we notice? There is a lot, a lot that God does and surprisingly little that David does. If you're the type of person that likes to take notes or jot down things during sermons, here's an opportunity for you. I want you to look for the verbs. Listen for the verbs. We're going to hear Psalm 23 one more time. Watch what God is doing. All the things. See if you can listen. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing else I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You overflow my cup. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's no wonder this psalm is connected with countless God followers throughout the centuries. Because there is a lot that God does for us. And David is saying, he's doing it for me. Your list may be longer than mine, but here's a few things that I noticed. God supplies us. God rests us. God leads us. Restores us. Guides, accompanies, comforts, feeds, anoints, resources, and hosts us. That's good news for us, right? And while God is doing a lot here, there's precious little that we do. If we find ourselves in this psalm in any place, we find ourselves being the recipients of all these things that God is doing. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, as if there is another shepherd that one could pick. And so I want to highlight this one thing, that the one thing, the most important thing that David does in this psalm is choose his shepherd. 
the Lord will be my shepherd. And I wonder what we might learn from that. Are there false shepherds? Are there wolves in shepherds' clothing that we might fall prey to? Well, I think, I think there are. I think like the thieves who come to steal and to kill and destroy in John 10, there are false shepherds who may be people, certainly, but they might also be selfish ambition or life goals. False shepherds might be notoriety or accomplishment or success or security, consumerism, wealth, any number of worldviews that compete with the good news of the gospel. We have to ask ourselves, who is our shepherd? Who are we listening to? Because following the voice of false shepherds results in the very opposite of what God offers. The very opposite, restlessness, depletion, loneliness, starvation, and misdirection. And, and we have a choice. We have a choice today. Who will be our shepherd and who will we choose? Because there are consequences for good or for evil, for harm. Okay, another pass through Psalm 23. What else do we notice as we read this psalm? It's generally a pleasant, light, happy psalm, except for this one part. To me, there's this dark valley we have to contend with, the valley of the shadow of death. What, what do we make of that? Well, as I wonder about this, and it's been called again, the darkest valley, the valley is the darkest death. I don't know what your translation says. But if you're in it, you know it. If you've been through it, you know it. It's interesting to me that the psalmist says he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us feel like we've been drugged through the darkest valley. I want you for a moment to think about what that darkest valley is for you. When was that? Maybe you're going through it now. And if you're one of the people who maybe isn't in that place, I bet you know someone who is. You might say a prayer for that person. Who comes to your mind? Who's going through a dark valley that, that you know of? There's someone that you're thinking of maybe that they're going through a hard time. May we always remember what the psalmist wants to make sure that we recall. Yes, there are dark valleys, but in the darkness, God is with us. In the loss, God is with us. In the pain, God is still with us. And while God doesn't take away the dark valleys, God is really good at confronting fear. And God specializes in comfort. Okay, one more pass through the psalm as I look at it. I'm thinking about, well, this is known as like the shepherd, the good shepherd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. But again, there's something sneaky that pops up if we have eyes to see it towards the end, the last two verses. It doesn't really sound like he's talking about a shepherd there, does it? As you look at it. God is our host who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And what does that mean? God prepares the, the Lord, the shepherd, the host, prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. I was looking at how other people interpret this to maybe get a handle on it myself. And the top two for me are this. Here's one. You honor me in your home while my enemies are forced to look on. I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah. You honor me in your home as my enemies have to, have to watch. Okay, but here's another one. Despite threats from enemies, you host a feast of peace for all of us. That sounds a little bit more like what God would do. But he anoints my head with oil like a king is anointed, like someone who's set apart is anointed, like someone who's blessed is anointed. He overflows my cup, and surely that's talking about abundance, right? The, the blessing of God. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever where there is safety and security and provision contrasted with what the false shepherds give. 
Okay. The fact that there is a God who loves us like a shepherd host is good news of great joy for all people. And I want to show you how that Old Testament psalm, now that we've looked at it several times, that's going to equip us to do something else as we move forward. You see, this good news shows up again on the night of Jesus' birth. Joseph and Mary have gone to Bethlehem. And in Luke chapter 2, starting verse 8, if you want to turn there, it says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the shepherds were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, peace to those on whom God's favor rests. When the angels had left him and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Joseph and Mary and a baby in a manger. And when the shepherds had seen this, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. It's fascinating to me, if you can see it, that the good news of Jesus' birth came first to shepherds. What does that mean? The baby born in Bethlehem, a.k.a. the town of David, the shepherd. This baby would later claim in John chapter 10 to be the good shepherd. The shepherds spread the word about what God had done through the angel. And then the shepherds glorified and praised God for what they had experienced. Just like David the shepherd who wrote Psalm 23 talks about God and then starts praising the God he's talking about. Jesus claimed to be the good shepherd. But my question is, did he ever do what he said he was? And we sung about that this morning and Dan read about it. Yes, in the cross, Jesus did who he said he was and laid down his life for the sheep. And in fact, I heard something just now this morning I had not thought of earlier before. His head was hit with what? They beat him on the head with a staff, right? Interesting. An allusion to a shepherd to me. Okay. But not only in his death. In his life, Jesus shepherded people. Now, because we've spent so much time with Psalm 23, you are now equipped to do something else. I want you to turn to Mark 6. I want, you, I want to show you this. It's fascinating. Mark chapter 6. Starting in verse, let's see, uh, how about 31. I want you to listen to Mark 6 through the lens, like you're putting on glasses, of Psalm 23. Okay, I'm about to read. You're looking through Psalm 23 at Mark 6. Here it goes. Because so many people, in verse 31, were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. 
When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages, and are we to go spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. They found out, and they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Did you hear it? Isn't that fascinating? As you compared this story with Psalm 23, did you hear the similarities? I'll highlight just a few that I'm sure you heard as well. Jesus invited the disciples to come away and get some rest. Jesus, the good shepherd, is in that business. Jesus had compassion on the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. It actually says that, just to jar our attention, get our attention. So what did he do? He taught them many things like a good shepherd would. He had them sit down on the green grass. Mark, really, do you have to, as you're telling this gospel story, emphasize that the grass was green? It's almost like a wink, like, I want you to think of something else. Think back. Jesus set a meal before them by multiplying food for thousands. And there were 12 overflowing basketfuls of food left over. And we can keep going. The dark valley, if you look at this story in context, look at the story just before it. John the Baptist has just been beheaded. One of their friends, one of their colleagues, one of the people they loved and knew well, had, had just had his life ended tragically. And surely they were wanting to get away to recoup, to recover, to deal with that dark, dark darkness. So we've looked at the good news of God with us in the Old Testament through Psalm 23. The good news of Jesus' shepherd at his birth and also in the way he lived his life in Mark 6. But what does that mean for us today? What's the point? What's the application? I want to propose five ideas for how we might respond to what we have seen and heard. Number one, choose your shepherd. Who will you choose among all the competing options to lead your life? Who do you want to be your shepherd? We know the stories in the Bible that tell us that sheep that wander off are prone to be attacked by wolves or lions or other enemies. We have to have a shepherd. We need a shepherd. Who will that be? And you can pick false shepherds and all that decision entails, or you can choose the God of Psalm 23, the Jesus of Mark 6. Maybe you finally want to make that decision today because you haven't made that decision to pick your shepherd and declare who will be your leader. And you can make that commitment today. If you've already made that commitment, maybe you want to evaluate, is God's voice still the voice I'm listening most to in my life? So number one, pick your shepherd. Number two, I want to propose one application from what we just read. Memorize Psalm 23. It's a great psalm you know has touched countless people throughout time. Jesus said, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice. So whose voice is in your ear? 
whose voice is in your head. One way to get that voice into our minds is to memorize God's word. Memorize Psalm 23. And there's a lot of ways to memorize. I want to give you a few ideas. Number one is to write it down on paper. To actually rewrite Psalm 23 might be one way that you can help memorize, memorize it. And by the way, if you are older than a child and you think memorization isn't as easy as it used to be, okay, but we still need to memorize scripture. So let me just say, throw that down real fast. You're not exempt because of your age from memorization. Okay, but uh, a thing that I like to do is also record scripture on my audio device, on my mobile phone, and then play it back. You can listen to it while you're driving, walking, doing a chore at the house, but you hear scripture and then you can repeat it. Some people like to memorize things by just reading a verse and then, you know, hiding it and saying it, reading it, saying it, and then adding to that all the way. Some people enjoy memorization by putting scripture in certain places in their home. What I mean by that is you were to think, okay, I'm going to enter my house. The Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing else I need. Now I'm going to go to the dining room. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leaves me beside quiet waters. Go to the kitchen. He restores my soul, etc. You can attach certain thoughts to certain places, and that can help you memorize the scripture. But I've got to tell you, there's no shortcut to exposing yourself to scripture over time. That's really going to help with memorization. And for those who will memorize Psalm 23, I've got the extra bonus challenge for you. It goes like this. Once you've memorized Psalm 23, I want you to recite Psalm 23 on the hour, every hour that you're awake throughout a day. If you do that, there's something that happens in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls, and I think that you'll be blessed. And speaking of our minds, I believe something about Scripture. As we encounter Scripture, most of us encounter it through our head. And what I mean by that is we see it, we read it, or we, we hear it like you're hearing it read today. But it comes in through our heads. And if we will think about it a lot and repeat it over and over in our minds, we start to care for it. It drips down into our hearts and we start to love it. And we start to treasure it like Mary treasured those things. And then scripture comes out of our hands in actions of good deeds and sharing cups of cold water or maybe offering a shoulder to lean on. So point number four is to imitate the shepherd host through your actions this week. How can we imitate the shepherd host in what we do? We see that Psalm 23 looks like the God shepherd, but Psalm 23, the God shepherd become a human. That looks like what Jesus did in Mark 6. But what does Psalm 23, Jesus shepherd, look like if it lives out in you this week? What does Jesus shepherd, Jesus spirit through you look like this week? How do we enact the love of God as a shepherd and a host at work? in our homes, or in our relationships. And point number five, finally, I want to say that we can speak and testify. David spoke about God, and it led him to worshiping God. The shepherds talked about God, and it led them to worshiping God. The angels, too, declared the good news of God and then glorified God. See, there's this other path that Scripture takes. If it goes into our head and drops to our heart and we care about it, not only does it come out through our hands, there's one other path that Scripture takes. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'll say that one other way. Your mouth speaks what your heart's full of. And so we can speak and testify about God. And I hope you'll consider participating in the good news of the gospel this week in one of these ways and putting this into practice, what you've seen and heard. So... May God bless you this week.
with a very real sense of God's presence with you as a good shepherd and a great host. Let's stand together.